From WABE in Atlanta, I'm Rose Scott. And I'm Kavitha George with Alaska Public Media. This is America Amplified. And this hour, it's all about the American dream. Is it alive? And what does it mean to you? When an indigenous man is asked, what is the American dream to you? It's like, I don't know, I'm kind of still stuck in between two worlds. When I envision the American dream, I do picture a white family. For the people that I serve, for them to have the same rights that everybody else has. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps. So many opportunities, if you want it, you can take it. You know, a dream is something we project in the future. I find it really hard to like pass November 3rd. That's coming up after a short break. So stay with us. This is America Amplified, Election 2020. Your voice counts. This is America Amplified from WABE down south in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm Rose Scott. Each week, I'm teaming up with co-hosts from across the country to bring you a special national series. Now, this year has thrown a lot at us, a pandemic, over 200,000 lives lost and counting, police killings of black men and women that have spurred global protests. And throughout all of that, it's a presidential election season. Put all those things together and you make a serious cocktail of unrest. 2020 is one of those years that has everyone on pins and needles. We're sitting in a little quiet space of the world here in America wondering what in the hell is going on. We need to listen more to one another than going straight to the meaning of others. People have to find a middle ground and stop being so bullheaded. And I feel like I'm yelling into a pillow and no one is listening. That's where we come in. I'm Kavitha George from Alaska Public Media. We've spent months just listening, from the Hill District in Pennsylvania to rural Oklahoma to the I-4 corridor in Florida, and you've got our attention. In a time focused on the candidates and the latest polls, we want to focus on you. This is America Amplified, Election 2020. Your voice counts. Today, we're talking about the American dream. Now, for some, it's about the ability to achieve pretty much anything, while for others, the American dream is somewhat hazy. Buried in student debt, rising health care costs, and other economic barriers, young adults today are further away from reaching the same milestones as their parents and grandparents. And speaking of young adults, we wanted to explore the generational divide when it comes to believing in that American dream. We reached out to a few teenagers and new college students to get their take. My name is Gabriel Bayan. I'm 17 years old and I live in Tacoma, Washington. The American dream means a lot of different things to me. On one side of my family, I'm Native American and my grandpa, he was a part of the relocation program in the 1950s. So the American dream pretty much tried to strip my family and other native families of their culture and land and almost everything we had. But on the other side of my family, I'm Filipino and my dad was born in the Philippines and moved over to America because his parents wanted him to have a better life. So the American dream is positive on one side and negative on the other. But at the end of the day, it brought my family together. My name is Cicely Bayless. I'm 15 years old and I have lived in Anchorage, Alaska my entire life. One of the goals I know of our country has been to set a 
positive example for other countries to look to in time of need. So whether it's to help their family or to start a business, I think that's considered the American dream. My name is Nancy Bowne. I'm 19 years old and I live in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. When I hear the American dream, I recall back to all of my history classes. It almost always was in the context of immigration, hoping to create a better life for themselves compared to their parents and grandparents. But in some ways, it also sounds like a legend, some type of sparkling vision that is seen as achieving the likes of Nirvana. It's a state of mind. My name is Daisy Carter. Um, I am 19, almost 20. It's kind of scary. Um, and I'm from Eagle River, Alaska. To me, the American dream is just simply to be happy. In order to be have like a peace of mind and to be have like a peace of self, you also still have to be like financially stable and you still have to, you know, be comfortable with how you're living. And I think that it's just been getting harder and harder and harder to find jobs. My name is Mary Mohammed. Um, I'm currently a freshman at the University of Washington. I've always been confused by that because the American dream is pretty much like being successful. But like for me, being the daughter of an immigrant, it's kind of like I have to abandon my culture to adopt the American dream. And it's kind of, it's really sad. So it's, it's, it's a hard process to understand. That came to us from our assistant producer, Mayowa Aina. You know what, Kavitha, think about this. You know, those voices that we heard from a much younger generation. Let's think about when we were teens. You know, what were your dreams? And also, did it even dawn on you that those were not attainable? Now, full disclosure, I wanted to be a drummer in Prince's band, but also wanted to be a journalist. So I had some decisions to make. And considering... Uh, I don't know how to read music, and I'm a terrible drummer. Pretty <laughs> sure I made the right choice. But interesting to hear across generations their thoughts and, and take on the American dream. Definitely. I, I think for me, journalism was actually my own rebellious dream. My parents immigrated from India to earn their graduate degrees here, and they stayed with the hope that my sister and I would build on their roots and benefit from America's opportunities my father wanted us to both become engineers like him, but I jumped off that track pretty early on to pursue my own dreams. You know, part of the American dream includes also the right to vote. And as early voting got underway here in Georgia and dozens of states and the District of Columbia, we begin today's conversation by welcoming in Daiwan Tetro. He's a government affairs and advancement officer at the Bard Prison Initiative and also a social justice advocate. I want, I want to begin by actually going back to the last presidential election that we had here in 2016. Tell me what your life was like then. You know, the last presidential election in 2016, I was sitting in a prison cell. You know, I was incarcerated at the time and actually a student within the Bard Prison Initiative, which is a college and prison program in New York State, and watching this disaster play out, um, you know, at a time that I was getting education as a member of one of the most marginalized populations in this country and really spent a lot of time reflecting on the power of voting, thinking about the fact that, wow, voting really matters, but then also having to kind of reconcile with the fact that I was in prison at the time and couldn't vote, mm -hmm. then I was going to get out of prison very soon and still not be able to vote. 
How would you think you defined the American dream back then? Prior to maybe the 2016 election, I always approached it and saw it through like an economic lens and a social mobility lens. And, you know, that Horatio Alger, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. America is a country of immigrants and people come here to like be economically successful. You know, 2016 really, really, in my education at the same time, really, really changed that for me. And I started thinking about other um, aspects of the American dream. And one of those being citizenship, right? Like people don't always come here to be successful economically. They come here to be a citizen of this country. And fundamental to citizenship is voting. And so sitting there in a prison cell, you know, being educated in a college and prison program where I was obtaining a different type of freedom in the world, I was also becoming more conscious of the freedoms that I didn't have. Daiwan, this is Kavitha with Alaska Public Media. Could you tell us how has your concept of the American dream shifted since then, four years ago? I got out of prison in August of 2017. And I was interested in politics and I finished a degree, I got a job, I paid my taxes. Actually, first kind of real job was working in politics, but I couldn't vote. And then in 2018 in New York State, um, Governor Cuomo by um, executive order um, and conditional pardons restored the right to vote to um, people like me who are formerly incarcerated, have felony convictions and, and were still on parole. And so I kind of went from not being able to vote to being able to vote overnight. From that moment on, you know, made it my responsibility to know the candidates, to know the issues, to go out and vote, but also becoming, again, more conscious of another aspect of this. There were 50,000 people sitting in New York State prisons who couldn't vote, right? There were 6.1 million people across this country that had been felony disenfranchised, right? And so here I am exercising this fundamental aspect of my um, citizenship and at the same time being reminded of the ways in which, you know, other people just like me had been locked out of the system. What else is wrapped up in the American dream for you? It's also stability and inclusivity and feeling a part of this nation. But then you turn on the TV every day and we're experiencing really, really divisive presidential election. And so it's very hard to, you know, think about this country and think about the American dream. And, you know, a dream is something we project in the future, right? Mm -hmm. I find it really hard to like think past November 3rd right now. Let me ask you this, Daiwan. Someone listening says, well, but the fact that you were able to achieve an education and now you're out, you're, you're helping other folks too. Can you accept someone saying, but you are achieving the American dream? Maybe may not be what everyone else paints it, but this is part of the American dream. What do you say to that? Yeah, you know, Rose, I'm the first person in my family to go to college. 
right? Me too. I, I think, you know, when we're talking about different aspects of the American dream, you know, going to college and getting an education is one of those, right? And so there's some tension within this for me. And I have to also often reconcile that with the fact that I may have never gotten an education if I didn't go to prison. Now, I didn't go to prison to get an education, right? Let's right. be clear about that. But, you know, this is part of the American dream, kind of having these opportunities to redefine yourself. But at the same time, you know, I have to recognize that I'm an exception to the rule, right? I have an older brother who's been to prison. I have a younger brother who's been to prison. They didn't have access to education. Um, the vast majority of incarcerated people in this country don't have access to education. But also, you know, prior to them going to prison, right, and having, not having access or having subpar educational access um, prior to their incarceration, we know leads to incarceration. You know, we've all heard about the school to prison pipeline. The question then becomes for me, you know, how do we expand this dream to more people, right? How do we give more people that opportunity? And I think that's what we see with the American dream, right? We, we have some populations of people who have been able to obtain their dreams, but we have uh, so many other people who in some respects are living nightmares in this country. And that's what we're talking about, the American dream. This is America Amplified Election 2020 coming up. Sometimes it's really sad to see immigrants come here because they want a better life, but they want us to change into the country they came from. We'll be right back. This is America Amplified. And welcome back from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. And I'm Kavitha George with Alaska Public Media. This is America Amplified Election 2020. Your voice counts. And we're talking this hour about the American dream. It's an age-old concept for some. Some might call it mythical. Do we share an understanding of what exactly it is today? Well, that's why we're asking you. Let's start with Mahmoud Salimi. Mahmoud immigrated to the United States from Afghanistan and now teaches filmmaking at Cal Lutheran University in California. Thank you for being here, Mahmoud. Thank you for having me. So tell us about your perception of the American dream before you immigrated to the U.S. And how did it change once you arrived? Well, when you are outside of the United States, um, the United States looks like an ideal place, a dream that you wanted to come true. It's a utopia. You want it to be here. But once you come to the United States, you see a different side of it. You see that there are people that just like you, that you were in your country and, or people in other countries, the challenges that you've faced, they are facing too. It's not that flashy, beautiful image that you get. Mm. When I came to the United States the first time in 2005 to um, stage a theater play in New York, we were in the car. Next day, we were in the car on the street driving and it was, there was traffic jam. While we were waiting for the light to change, I noticed that there's an African-American uh, guy standing on the side of the street holding a sign, a handwritten sign, saying that uh, something like, I know I smell and I know you do not want me to come close to you. 
but I'm hungry. Was that a jarring notion for you that, are you saying that maybe the American dream of what I thought America was going to be was not when you saw this gentleman with that sign? Sure it did. It definitely did. As I said, it broke my heart because I, to me, it was what difference does it make that he smells or not, but what important is he's hungry and he needs help. And I mean, people just try to avoid eye contacting with them, which means they are invisible. They're not seen. Um, and this is not the picture that I had in my mind about America. Let's bring in another voice now, joining the conversation from Kansas City. It's Cecilia Johnson, founder of Hood Conservatives and also other urban organizations, and she works with really engaging minority voters. Cecilia, thanks for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to share my perspective. Thank you. Well, let's get into that. Tell, tell me about the first time, if you can recall, hearing about the American dream. Oh, man, um... I, it wasn't until I moved to the city. I'm originally from a small, um, very rural town of less than 2,500 people in Southeast Arkansas. And I moved to, my mother moved us to Kansas City when we, when I was 10 years old. And shortly after that, I believe um, when I was in middle school, someone, a teacher introduced the idea of the American dream to to uh, me. And I found it very fascinating um, that, you know, that was even a thing. And I, it really allowed me to really think about the freedoms and the opportunities that America does provide as citizens that you can't find in most other nations across the world. And, you know, just how I, benefited from that and how I would grow to take advantage of those opportunities. When you heard what Mahmoud talked about and his perception and then coming to the nation and then seeing what he witnessed and how that changed sort of through his lens, that viewpoint, can you understand that? Mm -hmm. Uh, I can. um, I can, but I also see you know, just being from a diverse background um, here in America, how people are able to, you know, still make it and still live their dream and be what they want to be in this country, um, no matter where they come from. Um, There's so much around me. There's so many chances to make it, so many opportunities. If you want it, you can take it. And so I I see how that could change the perspective of maybe how America was presented to someone who's not um, born in America. But um, when I moved to the city, it was funny. um, I had never seen a homeless person. Hmm. And um, so I didn't see my first homeless person until I was 10 and I moved to the city. And I just, um, like him, I just couldn't really understand it um you know like i was like well you know where i'm from we have a big pretty big uh lake if you're hungry you can just go and catch you some fish and go cook you something and i it, it was a learning curve to see that you know there are different um each area 
has different opportunities and different chances and, uh, and different things to offer its uh, constituents. So I can see how that could change his perspective, but I don't think that it's fair to just look at more the downtrodden as opposed to also including the people who come from nothing and make something of themselves. Mm -hmm. Cecilia, this is Kavitha George from Alaska Public Media. I'm curious, how do you differentiate? Why do you think some people are able to find that dream and for others it's less accessible? Uh, I definitely think that um, where you're from has a big, plays a big part in that. I moved from, you know, the poor country, poor, poor rural area. We were basically raised in a trailer park uh, community to the inner city in Kansas City. So I've always lived in areas where, you know, it's people aren't, you know, very well off. People don't have um, large disposable incomes and a lot of people are struggling. And um, also where our education system is lacking greatly. We had some opportunities. Um, I went, I participated in a program where we had a STEM program through KU Medical, no, KU University, I'm sorry. Um, so that, I mean, but we, but those opportunities don't come very often to those um, that are living in that area. So I can see why a lot of people um, just, you're just not aware that a lot of these opportunities are out there. A lot of these chances are out there for you um, because they're not presented to everyone in the same way. And that's what we're talking about, the American dream. I want to play something for you all because Brian Bryant, he identifies as white, lives in the small rural town of Denison, Iowa, where immigrants make up at least 30 percent of the local population. And what you're going to hear, as he told America Amplified, he has mixed feelings about how immigrants have settled into the community. And he says he worries about the loss of what he considers small town values and American culture. Take a listen. It's good that they come. It's, it's good if they embrace the way of life. Sometimes it's really sad to see immigrants come here because they want a better life, but they want us to change into the country they came from. And to me, that doesn't make sense. A lot of the newer ones, they come in and they expect things without participating. Cecilia, let me start with you. What do you make of what Brian said? I'm trying to put myself in his shoes and I can kind of understand because I do um, like small town American values, um, being a small town girl. Um, But I do appreciate the fact that America, in my opinion, but in reality as well, is a melting pot. And I appreciate other people coming to America and bringing with them certain aspects of their of their culture. And it's funny, we were just, I was having this conversation with some, with a group of people about um, people that are migrating from New York and California and settling in the Midwest. And um, I actually met with some and they were saying they wanted to come because of the low cost of living and things like that. But on the flip side, they were also saying, but we should, you know, maybe the Midwest should change this way and do this and do that. And I'm like, well, it would kind of defeat the purpose, the, you know, the reason you came because that would raise the cost of living, that would raise taxes on people. So I definitely understand those sentiments, but maybe there, there are other things that 
you know, America could benefit from, from hearing from other people mm-hmm. but uh, that are not American born or originally from here. I think the big problem that we have is communicating and not just listening to respond, but listening to really understand where people are coming from. And that is a part of what being a community and being really America, American is all about. Cecilia, I wonder if that message can be confused because our president, President Trump, sends an anti-immigrant sentiment. Um, I think that that is subjective um, because he, he, his wife is an immigrant. She's the second um, immigrant sure. first lady that we, this nation has had. What do you mean when you say that? Well, by anti-immigrant sentiment, um, I think you could point to the president's uh, earlier travel ban on several Muslim-majority countries. Um, he's had statements about countries in the developing world being lesser uh, as far as immigrants coming to the United States. Um, I, I do understand what you're saying about Melania Trump being an immigrant, but I think the larger yeah. rhetoric that we hear at rallies and um, on social media has has been called uh, largely anti-immigrant. Well, I, um, as someone who is a supporter of the president, I don't believe that he has really been been anti-immigrant. Um, so I don't, I understand that his sentiments of America being placed first, um, which I definitely wholeheartedly agree with. I think anybody across the country, across the world would say that about their nation as well. Um, he has, the things he's done has shown that he is not necessarily anti-immigrant. Let's let Mahmoud um, weigh in here. When the leadership, when White House uh, pushes for a rhetoric that is anti-diversity, anti-inclusion, anti-immigration, and it when it fuels the this this resentment and hate sentiment among people, this definitely goes against the values that the founding fathers of this country went for. That grandfathers of so many hundreds of thousands of Americans fought for to be against fascism, to defeat it. But when you see that number of people, they march on the streets with anti-Semitic slogans, how is it possible to say that the leadership is not pushing for this this anti-Semitic, anti-immigrant policies or or rhetoric or, or that kind of mindset and thought? I think we need to step back look at it objectively, not necessarily what benefits or what interest we have in this process, what we get out of it, and then we close our eyes and look away from the values that the core values that the founding fathers, they spend their life, dedicated themselves to make this happen so they could build a nation that goes by the values. What's your response to Brian's comments about the loss of small town values as an immigrant yourself? Well, I think um, values change over time. Values that were important and mattered 500 years ago, 200 years ago, have changed. And especially when we say that America is a melting pot, then we need to know, we need to understand that other cultures, people with different cultures and backgrounds come here and they enrich these small towns and these big societies or big communities. So this is part of it. When he says that they want us to change 
I think the same thing happened when people from Europe, hundreds of years ago, they migrated and they came to this land and they changed the way of life was in this land. Change is part of life and it's impossible to stop it. I think when we talk about the American dream, which is basically based on the values of freedom and equal opportunity, then it should be respected when an immigrant family wants to have the right to celebrate the holidays that they have, then it should be because that is American dream. Not necessarily being able to buy a house or have a better job with more income, but much more about inclusion and diversity. And that immigrant family that is here must respect the values and culture that is part of this nation, this this community, this society should be respected. And so, Mahmoud, since you mentioned the United States' reputation for freedom and democracy around the world, well, one central tenet of that idea is just that within the American dream. So I want y'all to, as we go to break, listen to this because it's a voicemail we got from a listener, Peter in Fort Worth, Texas. He says he's concerned we're losing that global status as a country. Unfortunately, in this year, 2020, we here in the USA are beginning to lose focus of what this country stands for. This is a country that the whole world looks upon for solution to injustice of any kind. Somehow, some way, in the past four years, we have gone from what used to be a model democracy to what now looks more like a third world country. Unfortunately, even those of us who are intelligent enough to know that we are going wrong are blindly keeping quiet. Cecilia, let me bring you into the conversation. Peter is talking about that reputation the U.S. has for freedom and democracy that is viewed through a lot of other lenses from around the world. What do you make of that? What he said? Well, I think by far, especially as speaking as a black woman, um, ADOS woman or foundational black American, I mean, America's not perfect. America has definitely had his day. America has definitely had um, her time uh, where, and there are still times today where things are not perfect and there you know, are injustices in our system. And yes, I do applaud people who stand up and you know, fight for that change so that we can remain um, the, the role model to the rest of the world. You know, with that comes a lot of responsibility and there's a lot of, you know, a lot of eyes on America and it's easy to nitpick everything that happens whenever we fall, whenever we stumble. Mahmoud, you've seen both sides. You've been on the outside and now having immigrated to America, you've seen both sides of this situation. Can you respond to what Cecilia is saying? Is it unfair to hold the United States to this standard of perfection in terms of its global status? I don't think there is uh, any nation is you know perfect. Definitely, there are flaws with you know every society with every nation. Uh, but when, when one needs to live up to the standards that that nation, that country is presenting themselves you know this these are our our values and we are living by these values and one needs to live up to that uh definitely there are things and challenges problems that need to be addressed in this country and and decades has gone by and it will take more decades to do it and in terms of foreign policy i i believe that 
The last four years um, have been nothing but a disaster, a chaos in terms of foreign policy. So it's not clear where the United States is standing in terms of foreign policy. Well, it's all because of lack of experience and failure in leadership and vision coming from the White House. And as we talk about vision, whether it's from the White House or vision from everyone who lives wherever they live, we're talking about the American dream and we're listening. Share your thoughts. What matters to you this election season? Tweet us at Amplified 2020. Coming up. There was no American dream. It was an American nightmare. We'll be right back. This is America Amplified. Welcome back. I'm Kavitha George with Alaska Public Media. And I'm Rose Scott from WABE in Atlanta. This is America Amplified, Election 2020. Your voice counts. Today's conversation centers on the American dream. Tweet us at Amplified 2020. We know you want to. Again, that's at Amplified 2020. We continue the conversation now with Sam Johns, who's joining the program from Alaska. Sam is an Alaska Native activist who advocates for homeless Alaska Native people in Anchorage. He helps them contact their families, reconnect with their cultures, and even organize travel back to their home villages. Sam, you grew up in Copper Center, a community of about 300 people in south-central Alaska. You are Adna and Gwich'in Athabaskan. Can you tell us about the ways in which the values of the American dream differ from the traditional values of your Alaska Native culture? Well, first, uh, thank you for letting me be on the show. I think the first thing I got to acknowledge is the differences between the languages. Um, The English language is much different than my traditional language. And when you go to my community and you're embraced in my traditional culture, you are taught to just be a part of everything. You have respect for the animals. You have respect for whatever you as food for your family you have respect for like pretty much everything but when it comes to the english language it's so much different and it conditions you in a different way to where you have this conquering cutthroat mindset where everything is just ownership that's why i think it's kind of funny when an alaska native or an indigenous man is asked what is the american dream to you mm-hmm. it's like oh I don't know. I'm kind of still stuck in between two worlds. So that question's a pretty large question for me. Can you tell us about what your idea of the American dream looked like when you were growing up? And how did it change as you became an adult? I think as a, as a young male in America, I was kind of conditioned to be the breadwinner, you know, like as the the American dream has a lot to do with patriarchy for me when I was younger and being conditioned that way, think of it as a race. I was taught to run and be in first place as fast as I can. Doesn't matter if anybody tripped, doesn't matter if anybody fell and is hurt. I'm going to go as fast as I can so I can be number one. But as I got older, my traditional values started teaching me that being number one doesn't even matter. What does matter is who is that leader 
that's willing to let everyone go ahead of him and make sure everybody crosses that line safely. Let's bring in another voice now. I want to turn to Willard Tillman from, and I hope I say this right, Wewoka, Oklahoma. He's the executive director of the Oklahoma Black Historical Research Project. We've been talking about this American dream, Willard, and I want to get your thoughts by simply asking, first question, do you absorb this concept of the American dream? And if so, what is it? Well, uh, my concept of the American dream is that for the people that I serve, for them to have the same rights and opportunities that everybody else has. Mm-hmm. That's, that's my vision of the American dream. But being an advocate for a lot of black farmers and things, for those people that I basically work with uh, out there, it is a hard task to survive on the farms that they have. And some of these are traditional farms that have been passed down from generation to generation. And uh, they themselves would like to keep their land because their parents and everybody worked so hard for them to have it. But in most cases, you know, farming is not an easy task. My challenge today uh, is to try to keep them on the farm and get most of the young youth involved in farming activities. Land is, they're not making any more of it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's a precious tool. And uh, that's one I'd like to see stay in the hands of uh, most of the black farmers. And that sounds like something you and Sam have in common, Willard, advocating for the needs of your community. And so I'm going to ask you, you want to keep that, you want to keep that thread going within your community. But what concerns do you have? moving forward that that can happen well you've got you've got these things that they call the privilege the non-privilege and the underprivileged mm. the privilege are the ones that have been had the opportunity to participate and all the other things and opportunities that are there you had the non-privileged who basically had a chance but it was done under 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 false pretense. And then you've got the underprivileged who haven't had a chance at all. Uh, over the years, there's been a lot of things to basically happen out there in black folks' land. In the state of Oklahoma, uh, early in the days, there was uh, 1.5 million acres of land that black folks owned in a striving agricultural base. Today, that's not, they don't have very much land at all. Sam, I want to ask you for your experience as it relates to what Willard's saying about um, the the scale of privilege and, and how privilege plays into whether you're included in the American dream or not. What are the ways that uh, the people in your culture have been left out of that dream? Well, I, I think uh, we'd have to go back to like the 70s, my dad's generation. They had a very simple life in uh, Copper Center, which is also known as Klutika. And then the state proposed putting a pipeline through our backyard, the Elieska pipeline. And that was molded as an American dream to my dad's generation. They were supposed to have careers for the rest of their lives because of that pipeline. But privilege, like he was saying, when you look at it from this capitalistic society's point of view, my dad was underprivileged when it came to 
uh, learning how to balance and budget, learning how to save, learning how to put money where it needs to be, learning how to buy land. When the Elieska pipeline came to my dad's generation, they gave them the keys to spend as much money as they wanted for the American dream with no guidelines. And I feel like I understand what Willard, yes, I understand what he's saying because of the privileged part is Elieska pipeline assumed that my people were privileged enough to know how to handle that amount of money. Mm. And what happened was a lot of people died. A lot of people got alcohol poisoning. A lot of people drank themselves to death. A lot of people were in car accidents. And there was no American dream. It was an American nightmare. And it it's something that still... Um, it's still something that my dad's still trying to heal from today. He's his generation. He lost a lot of people and, you know, the pipeline's still there, but the jobs aren't the American dream isn't. Wow. Sam, thank you for sharing that story. Something I'm hearing here is how complicated this idea of ownership is, how grim the outlook can be for indigenous people and people of color. That's something our next guest thinks a lot about. Keisha Credit is an entrepreneur in Seattle She bought her first house at 21, and when her grandfather became ill, she sold it to take care of him. When he died, she inherited the property. Keisha, could you tell us about your family's relationship to the American dream, and specifically the idea of building generational wealth? For me, um, it was kind of something that was understood from the beginning that, you know, owning um, land and home ownership is definitely a great path towards wealth. And then you consider how much is thrown out with, you know, rent and different things, especially living in a place like Seattle. Um, It's important to determine, you know, where you're going to lay your ground. Um, The American dream, I don't necessarily feel as if that was even a concept that I felt was relatable or even necessarily, quote unquote, achievable for me. I never felt like I was working after the American dream. When I envision the term American dream, I do picture a white family. I don't even see myself when it comes to that terminology. I think that for Black people, it's a little bit difficult for that to be um, the image of what we envision for me the American dream to myself and my family is, you know, preserving our legacy, growing the family, um, doing the best that we can and continuing to put great things into the world. Keisha, you've been with us hearing these perspectives from Willard and Sam about privilege and being left in or out of the American dream. What are you hearing and, and how does it change your understanding of the dream? Yeah, I don't necessarily think it changes my understanding. Um, I think it's pretty clear to say that the American dream for people of color is one that is lined with negativity, um, triumph, and overcoming um, tons of barriers that were purposely put in place and that are difficult to break down. And so when you're thinking about a dream, our dream comes with a fight. And I think that the quote unquote standard American dream is something that's more so just worked for and earned. Um, but it's very, it's, it's a different concept to understand working for earning it, but having to do it while, um, being shot at while, um, you know, losing people that you love and seeing it broadcasted on national TV. I think that our American dream has a different vision. Um, and it is more triumphant because, 
we are constantly being beaten against it. So, Keisha, sounds like you're saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, that for the American dream through the lens for probably a lot of black folks in this nation is not just about what we can achieve individually, but as a community, because we already have these other barriers that we're trying to overcome as a community, as a people. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that we have been cultivated to um, stray away from our communal ancestral roots. Um, And it is much easier as a fist to make change than it is as a single finger. Um, I think that we have to come together and our communities. And so I think that we need to further strengthen, establish and grow our own communities, which is a huge reason why I focus on, you know, entrepreneurial coaching and sharing different things and sharing my journey. Because for me, I didn't grow up with an entrepreneur. I had no idea that I was an entrepreneur really um, until I was in like my mid 20s. Well, let's end this conversation with a a question for all of you. And and Sam, I'll start with you, because based on what you all have talked about, the importance of the community, the importance of the village, how optimistic are you that that can happen for your community, that it will take efforts of everyone then to move the entire culture, the entire community forward, whether it's the American dream or some aspect of it? How optimistic are you that can happen? I'm very optimistic, you know, I, uh, especially with the, you know, the trials and tribulations that all of us had to collectively go through together shows just how fragile this capitalistic system is. More than anything, I hope small communities across this country can really reflect on how they can really look at the American dream as more of a self-sustainable community where we actually have food security as our top priority. And what about you, Willard? Well, my hope for for uh, my rural community is that we get a co-host of uh, community leaders together and come up with a cooperative agenda. I, I ha- I'm very optimistic because of the younger groups that are now trying to develop uh, things for their communities, such as their community gardens, trying to develop their own uh, food distribution uh, systems within uh, some of these small communities to provide the food and fiber. Keisha will give you the last word. Optimism here. For me, um, it's coming together to understand that freedom um, is going to rely on us um, unifying together to one, inform, educate, and be an example for those who may or may not understand our community, our culture, and how we flow, and determining that we are going to stick together to understand our own differences, but that we can move forward. Keisha Credit, Sam Johns, and Willard Tillman, thank you all for joining us. Also, this hour we heard from Cecilia Johnson, Daiwan Tetro, and Mahmoud Salimi. Depending on whom you ask, a picturesque description of the American dream might include a small town and perhaps maybe out west. But that's been changing. Younger generations are moving away and those Main Street businesses are closing down. And this year at the pandemic, well, it's been especially hard. One such town is Walden, Colorado. It's the hometown of Wyoming public radio reporter Melody Edwards. But as Melody tells us, in some ways, these hard times are drawing the community closer together. As a community, we're never going to be that rich. 
but as a community, we are that rich in heart. My hometown is having a hard time. Suze Kanak is a community organizer, and she remembers when the sawmill and the coal mine both closed. Since then, our town has shrunk almost in half. The pandemic is making things worse, but Suze isn't giving up. When my mother it died, she asked me to take care of two things, my father and her community. My father was a quadriplegic. He was less hard to take care of. <laughs> <laughs> Same with old-timer Helen Williams. She'll never give up on this place. I often have dreams at night that I'm walking down Main Street, just this block, and every store has a business in it, and there are people all over and everything. 45% uh, of our community is over 65. That's a high number. We all want to stay here. It's, I don't know what it is about North Park, but <laughs> we do. The thing is, is if we had a safe place for her, them here in this community, that would be my dream. But there's only one doctor and a part-time mental health clinic. Gabby is an old family friend, a Vietnam vet struggling with addiction. Walden's taking good care of you. That is the truth, um, that's the truth. Yeah. We care about you. You know what? It's like, uh, I don't even know how to say such stuff, but it's part of a bond. Everybody kind of adopts, you know, those extra grandparents that you have or those people that, you know, can't get out. And so people check on people normally. Certainly, I think COVID has affected everybody. Um, but I think small towns were able to help care for each other. Town doctor Lynette Telk says the pandemic might be a blessing in disguise for towns like ours. I'm wondering if we're going to have a shift where people start living in these rural areas where they come to normally play and hike and bike. And I'm questioning whether or not we're going to have an influx of those people because now they can live remotely, still work where they did before, still make the bigger figures as far as a salary that small towns don't offer, but come to these smaller areas and live and contribute. But first, it'll need a lot better broadband. Can this richness of heart save my town? I don't know, but I do know it's a place that means a lot to all of us. No matter where I went, there was always in my heart was I had a hometown, and it was still there, pretty much the same as it had been, waiting for me to come back. That came to us from Melody Edwards, host of the podcast, The Modern West. Thank you for joining us this hour for America Amplified Election 2020. Listen back to this episode at AmericaAmplified.org. Our producers are Maya Ina and Grace Walker. Our senior producer and director is Andrea Tudhope. Our executive directors are Elisa Barba and Donna Vestal. Kathy Liu is our digital editor. Our community engagement gurus are Matthew Long Middleton, Ann Alquist, and Jennifer Tufts. Special thanks to KCUR in Kansas City, WABE in Atlanta, Alaska Public Media, and Native Voice One, a Native American radio network. America Amplified is supported by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. The conversation doesn't end here. We want to know what matters to you this election season. Find us on Twitter at Amplified 2020. From WABE in Atlanta, I'm Rose Scott. And I'm Kavitha George with Alaska Public Media. This is America Amplified Election 2020. Your voice counts.